All right, let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and while you do, I'm going to give a brief recap. We're continuing this week with uh, what the Bible teaches about the nature and the purpose of the church. Normally, I teach verse by verse through uh, a book of the Bible, and we just finished a year and a half in the book of Luke, a couple months, well, actually a month and a half ago, and since then, we, I felt that it, uh, it was... It was timely to readdress the purpose and the nature of the church. And so we're just taking what I originally said was four weeks has now become eight weeks. And uh, that's the way it works, you know. I mean, you got your bullet points, you go, that's an important subtopic, and we need to hit that. And that's what's happening, so we're rolling with it. Um, but we're talking about the, uh, the nature and the purpose of the church, and my hope is that through this study that we would see more clearly the, f- the family that we have been born into, the family that we've been more born into, how the Lord has gifted each of us and called us so that we will together glorify God. When we've been born again, we haven't been born into a a foreign family. We've been born into the body of Christ. We've been born out of the world, all of the things that we used to be a part of. We've been born and saved out of sin, out of darkness, all those things. We've been brought into the body of Christ. And it's, it's kind of difficult for us to sometimes understand that that is our new reality. That is, these are the people we're going to be spending the rest of eternity with. And before we get there, God has a plan and a purpose for us individually and together to, to be the body of Christ, which I'm going to get into further. And so um, my hope is that as we gather under the Word of God, that we would have one heart, one mind, one purpose, one soul, and it wouldn't be driven by a personality, but be driven by the person of Jesus Christ, hopefully, and, and His Word to us. And so um, far in our study, uh, we have first discover that, well, what is the church? And many people have different opinions about that. But basically, the church consists of those who have been called out by God to be born again to an everlasting kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. It means called out. God calls you out, sin and darkness, and saves us through faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, when we have been called out of darkness, we were called into something. We were called into the body of Christ, and we find that as now a part of that new family of God, we have a new identity. I don't know how many of you have uh, seen kids who have been adopted out of a country, and they're old enough to realize this is who I was, but this is now who I am, and all the riches now that I have in this new family, and the access that I now have to all those blessings are now found in this new family. Well, that's what it is in Christ. And so we have found from Ephesians 1 that new identity, and it says that we've been blessed by God with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We've been chosen, we've been adopted, we've been redeemed, forgiven, given His plan and sealed with the Holy Spirit, and it goes on and on in Ephesians uh, chapters 1 through 3. So we have this new identity in Christ as the blessed of God. And all those blessings, we find out that we were chosen, you were chosen, you were adopted, you were redeemed, you were forgiven, you were given His plan, and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're His. It's an amazing reality to wake up to. That's our new identity. Thirdly, we've learned that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We want to know who's in charge of this new family that we have. Well, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, also called his body. He paid with his own blood to buy us back, buy us out of the slave market of sin and death. And he, through him, his death and resurrection, he has brought us into his family. We now have his life. We are now in Christ. We are under his name. And like a head to the body, he gives direction and, and we, as his body, hopefully follow the direction of the head, as I've discovered before. When your body decides not to do what the head tells it to do, that's called disease, right? <laughs> and it doesn't function, and it's not beautiful, and it's, it, it's a disgrace to what it should be. And, and I have experienced disease in my own body, and, and you have as well. And when it's not functioning, you, you grieve over it, and it causes you to to go, what in the world's going on with this? Why isn't it working the way it should? I can't do the things I used to do, all that type of stuff. Anybody with gray hair or starting to get gray hair understands that. But the body of Christ shouldn't be like that. We should be maturing under the lordship of Jesus Christ, learning to obey Him, and we know that that's a process. And because that is a process, fourthly, 
God has given leadership within the church. I'm spending a little time on this because it's important. Similar to a, uh, you know, a baseball team, I've used that analogy, baseball uh, players, they walk in, well, it's, they don't just all just play baseball. They're organized, they're arranged, and the head coach is the head coach, and he has all these assistant coaches that help manage things, and then all the drills and the practices and the things we do are to eventually go out and win, amen? I mean, unless you just go out there to lose. But I mean, the church is designed to bring glory to God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. In other words, when we listen to what God says through His Son, Jesus Christ, His words to us, His teachings to us, when we fall under that lordship, both individually and as a church, we start to function as a body. We start to not be discombobulated. We start to love one another. We start to have the same heart and the mind and and all those things. Christ is actually living and working through us. Amen. And that's the purpose. John, could you uh, roll off the mids and turn it down a little bit? Thank you. And so that is what we are we're hoping and, and praying for. And that's kind of where we landed about church leadership. And, you know, I, I am a leader in, in, in the church, but doesn't mean I'm a great one. <laughs> and how many of you are like leaders of your family? You're like, Lord, I wish I was a better at mom or dad or whatever it might be. But we are all called to something in the body of Christ. And we all have a part and a purpose and a place in the body of Christ. And it's not us who chooses what that is. That's the Lord Jesus Christ who calls us out to those things. And and He's the one who empowers us to do it. And that is where I want to move with our... um, uh, eventually, after we get after the leadership, it's about, well, how do we function as individuals? What are our giftings? And how do we work together? What is our upward mission? Uh, how do we as a body glorify God uh, upwardly with praise and worship? How do, we, how do we do it inwardly with the one another's, loving one another, and through the giftings that God has given us? And then there's the whole outward mission. How in the world did you come to Jesus Christ? Somebody preached the gospel. Somebody loved you. Someone laid down their life. Someone, you know, had, had, the, had the, the Lord in them and, and said, you know what, I'm going to preach this message on this radio or I'm going to walk across the street or whatever it is. And, and the Lord used all those things, a grandmother or someone in your life to, to reach you. Amen. And so the body has an outward mission as well. And that's where I want to end up here. Let's see why it takes me so long to get through all this. And so... In order to grow in our callings, to mature so that we grow together into the church God has called us to be, Christ has given the church gifted leaders. And this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, if you have your Bibles. It says, so Christ himself, what? He gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, or pastor teachers. We begin... Uh, we're going to begin to describe these this morning, but so you don't get confused as to why Christ appointed leaders to the church. Just keep reading. What does it say in there, verse 12 and 13? It says, He gave them to equip His people for works of service. So that tells me, as a leader, what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be an equipper. And what does that tell you that you're supposed to be doing? Being equipped. Amen? Put it on. Make sure it's in the Word first. Amen? And then secondly, he says, until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. We're unified not in faith like a general faith. I used to be a Padres fan, for crying out loud. I guess I still am. Yesterday, I heard they lost 20 to 5 or something. I'm just like, I didn't even listen to it for years, and I turned it back on. I'm like, yeah, still losing. Great. (laughs) But 20 to 5, that's horrible. But they would say, oh, yeah, keep the faith. I mean, that is a dying faith. That is like there's, there's no faith in that whatsoever. <laughs> it's miserable. But, but we're talking not about just a general faith. We're talking about doctrine. We're talking about teaching. Jesus is teaching. That is what we rally around it. That's what our unity is in. Our unity isn't around a good feeling. Our unity isn't around politics or what we think on this or that. It is on what the Lord Jesus says. He is our unity. Amen? And so we are all seeking and trying to, uh, to, 
to deny ourselves, first of all, and, and just allow the Lord to speak to us, just trust and obey Him. And so when Jesus says, hey, don't lie anymore, guess what, guess what we do? Okay, Lord, let's, let's just get this out of my life. It doesn't fit anymore. Those are old clothes, and so we learn to tell the truth, right? And, and it goes on and on and on and on, and the Lord just keeps, keeps honing us under, and we're unified in Him. And when we see things out of unity, um, uh, hopefully it's not just to smack someone else, but in love we go, oh, they need help, and I've got something that can help them, and Lord, do you want me to help them? And here's my gift. And it might be teaching, it might be preaching, it might be uh, evangelism, it might be mercy, it might be helps, it might be lifting something, it might be doing something, just sitting with someone, praying for someone, giving money, whatever it is that God's called you to do in your gifted way, we as the body of Christ are just submitted to the Lord Jesus, and He is glorified through that, and mystically, not through our massive organizational skills, but through the Holy Spirit working through the church, we see the body function as the way it should. And people look at the church and they go, wow, those people are messed up, first of all. I know they're sinners, but there's a, there's, there's a forgiveness, there's a love, there's a patience, there's a joy, there's, there's a perseverance. There's just, it's just not like the world. What's going on there? And it's our love for one another that is an evangelism. It's, it's, a, it's a sign to the world that we've been changed. You know, we've got a new family and a new father. And so Christ has given us those leaders to hopefully help model and equip those things for us, in us. And so with our remaining time, let's look at the first two leadership roles given to the church in the list. And I'm only going to get through two, apostles and prophets, okay? I think this is important, and, and they're the hard ones. That's why I'm doing them first. The word apostle, first, the Lord Jesus has given apostles to the church as a gift, and the word apostle means one who was sent on a mission on behalf of someone else. One who was sent on a mission on behalf of someone else. The greatest example of an apostle in all of Scripture that we can find is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Hebrews 3, 1, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest those little subtle things that we go, wow, so the Lord is our apostle. In other words, he was sent on behalf of someone else to us. The Father sent his only son to us. Amen. He's a messenger, and the message that he gave was eternal life. Praise God he was sent. And so Jesus is the chief example of an apostle. But when we think of apostle, we don't necessarily think of Jesus. We think about the apostles that he designated, right? And so in the New Testament, they, they are, there are specific men in the New Testament designated as apostles. There were 19 men that I counted identified as apostles. Um, 14 were identified as apostles of Jesus Christ, and that would be the original 12, right? The original 12 disciples who were called apostles, and then Judas betrayed Jesus, so he died, and then the, dis the disciples right after that decided, hey, we're going to replace him with a guy named Matthias, that would be 13, and then there's a guy abnormally born with what and his name is Paul, and he writes most of the New Testament, and he kind of came on after the scene, and he says, I'm not like the other apostles. In other words, Jesus, I didn't walk with him, I wasn't with him, but Jesus appeared to me after his resurrection, and he called me to himself as an apostle to the Gentiles, which we see. And so there's those 14 who are identified as apostles of Jesus Christ. But then the rest, as you read apostles in the New Testament, were just apostles of the church, or just an apostle, one who was sent on their behalf. That's all we got on the apostles. The apostles of the New Testament had three basic qualifications. This is important because a lot of people say they're apostles. There's a lot of churches that claim apostolic authority. There's a lot of things going on. We've got 12 apostles hanging out in Salt Lake City. There's other things going on. There's a lot of people who claim apostleship, right? And so we want to go to the authority. Again, the unity doesn't come by, oh, that sounds good. It's, it has to go by what he says, Amen. And so we go to what he says, and, and here's basically the three basic qualifications that we see. There's more, um, but for the, to be an apostle. First, they were men chosen and sent directly by Jesus. They were men chosen by Jesus, directly by Jesus. In John 15, 6, Jesus is speaking to his 11 apostles. Judas had departed, and he said to them, you did not choose me, but I chose what? I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. 
So Jesus talks to his, his apostles. He says, guess what? I chose you, I appointed you, and I'm sending you, and here's your mission. That was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so it's not as if these guys went through seminary, and they came out the other side and said, hey, guess what? I'm going to take the apostle route. I'm going to be an apostle. They took a bunch of classes, and the church got around and said, yeah, you're apostle. No, Jesus chose them directly. And when I say directly, I'm not saying indirectly. I mean, he appeared to them, and he spoke to them, and he, he was with them. He wa- they walked with him. That's what was happening out there. And Paul in Acts 26, while speaking to King Agrippa, Remember, Paul's in chains after he'd gone to Jerusalem. He was warned, and he gets dragged into the situation, and he's before this pagan king, basically. And he gives his testimony, and he's recounting to this King Agrippa how Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus while Paul was on his way to persecute the church there. Paul was a vicious persecutor of the church. And Paul recounts in verse 15 through 18 of Acts 26, he, commi- he says that Jesus Christ commissioned him. And it says this, I'll read it for you. It says, Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? This is after Paul is on his keister. The Lord knocked him off, his donkey, whatever he was doing, and he's just flat on his face. And Jesus appears as the brightness of 10,000 suns is kind of like the translation. He just magnified himself in front of him. And then he asked, Who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Gulp, you know. Verse 16, Now get up and stand on your feet, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what uh, and will see of me. That's interesting, isn't it? And I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. I'm sending you, apostles, one who's sent, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so Paul was an apostle of Christ, chosen and appointed by Christ himself. That's qualification one. Secondly, they were enabled by Jesus to perform signs and wonders. One of the interesting things is that many people who claim apostleship claim that they, can have, they have signs and wonders. And Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 says that Jesus called his 12 to himself and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So the apostles were given personal authority by Jesus Christ to do amazing things, signs and wonders, uh, heal everything, diseases and sickness and Cast out spirits. In Luke 6, 3, uh, 13 and Mark uh, 3, 14 through 15 say the same thing. Later in Acts, uh, we see the mighty miracles that were done, and they were at the hands of the apostles. Sometimes we forget this. It says in Acts 2, 42, 43, I like 2, 42 because it's fun. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread in prayer. And then it says in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the, what? By the apostles. They were the ones doing the signs and wonders. Acts 5.12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And one more verse in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is in the middle of rebuking a church for basically questioning his apostleship because and there's this big thing. So he's kind of speaking in hyperbole here. He's going crazy. But Paul, in the middle of defending his apostleship to the Corinthians, he says in chapter 12, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians, says, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs and wonders and miracles. And so Paul, being purposefully outlandish in this passage, I don't have time to get into it, but he lets us know that the apostles were those who were given the ability to perform these miraculous signs and wonders. It doesn't say much or anything. I don't see anything about ordinary, everyday Christians doing a lot of those mega signs and wonders. And they were to authenticate the message that Jesus had done. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he is doing everything, right? And then he gives that authority to his apostles to authenticate the message of the gospel that God is with them and they go out. And so, signs and wonders were given to those apostles. Lastly, and this is important, apostles had to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had to see the resurrected Jesus Christ. And 
The 14 who were apostles of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem were the original 12 disciples. You can read about that in Acts when they're talking about replacing uh, Judas with Matthias. Peter kind of lays down some criteria. But everyone who was an apostle had these three qualifications in the New Testament. Now, if those were the qualifications, I have a difficult time thinking that the office of an apostle is still in operation in the church. And I know many people, you know, okay, so I know everybody's from like super, you know, maybe on one side of the issue, and then, and then you've got the other side of the issue. There's people all over probably in this room on this issue. And let me, I've swung the pendulum on the whole thing, so I'm in process. I don't want to be dogmatic. But from what I see here, I see that, that an apostle would have to be personally chosen by Jesus, empowered him to do signs and wonders like we see in the New Testament, and witnessed as a resur- as witness the resurrection, resurrected Jesus Christ. And now God can do what He wants, and I don't want to say that He can't. Amen? And if the Lord still does that, then He can. But most of the people I've seen that they say they're apostles and claim to have been appointed by Jesus and claim to have signs and wonders and claim to have witnessed the risen Jesus Christ personally, they tend to need your money. They tend to... <laughs> They, te- they tend to need your help and support in this miraculous thing that's going on. Amen? And so I'm, I'm highly skeptical about that. And now what God does in the third world, He does in the third world, I don't know. But we've got to match everything up against Scripture. So I'm thinking that the apostles died when John the Apostle died. That's where I sit on it, but you can see it differently. Now, some people say that missionaries are apostles. Well, not in that sense. Not in the sense where they do signs and wonders and have the authority to speak Scripture and things like that, right? So, But they are sent by the Lord, so in, in that sense, they might be like the other apostles. I don't know. I'm still working this out with you. But Jesus and His apostles, like Paul, warned us that there would definitely be false apostles. So whether or not the apostles are going on, we know that there are false apostles. And Paul says that they masquerade as servants of righteousness. Check this out, 2 Corinthians eleven twelve through 15. And I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want, to the op- want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. In other words, they're false apostles. They're saying they're apostles. And Paul's saying, I'm going to keep on undermining that because they're out for, they're out for blood. They're going to take you for a ride, church. They're going to take you, they're going to remove your money from you. They're going to talk about seed faith. They're going to do all the weird stuff. And Paul's saying, I'm going to fight against that. He says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. How many of you have the picture of Satan being uh, demonic, like hardcore looking, maybe pitchfork, you know, hanging out in hell? Anybody got that picture? What does it say? He masquerades as what? An angel of light, read Ezekiel, read Isaiah, describes him as majestic and beautiful. See, it's beauty, the outward, that Satan detracts us and fools us with. It's not the inward. Christ is the inward, and he rejects the outward, right? It's the opposite kingdom. He says, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerades as servants of what? righteousness. Their end will be what their action deserves. Wow. So Paul says, false prophets, they mimic their master, Satan. They appear as righteous in light, but it is a masquerade, it is for show. So it's plain today that many who claim to be apostles are out there. So watch out, church, okay? That's, that's just the that's the warning I want to I want to put out there. Don't don't be so easily pulled by. Even if does someone someone does some trickery or some whatever it might be, just really be careful. The role of a true apostle, however, was significant. They were personally taught by Jesus Christ while he was on earth, with the exception of Paul, who spent three years in Arabia being taught personally by Jesus Christ after his ascension. And they were taught by the Lord, and they were given revelation later by the Holy Spirit. That's John 16, 13. And they laid the foundation for the church through their teachings, preachings, and miracle. The church stands on the apostles' doctrine. What they taught 
is what we are teaching this morning, what we are holding to, what we stand on. Amen? So what a gift to the church that has lasted and lasted and lasted. We stand upon the words that the, the Lord taught these men, that they recalled to other people and wrote down about Jesus Christ, and so we stand on them. These were not ordinary, everyday, gifted Christians. They were ordinary, everyday gift, uh, men, but they were not ordinary, everyday, gifted Christians. They were extraordinarily gifted by God for the edification of the church and the multiplication of it. They were unique. And I don't want to pretend like, yeah, just take this class and you become an apostle. No. Apostles were laid out here. So they laid the foundation of the church, Ephesians 2.20 says. And it is their authoritative teachings given to them by the Lord Jesus and their words and testimony that make up the New Testament. So the apostles have been that incredible gift to the church and still are. And if you differ on this, please know I'm not going to go to, to war with you over this. This is just where I am in, in my understanding of Scripture. And so if you feel like, oh, no, this guy's an apostle, then let's talk about it. <laughs> I'd love to, love to see what you think about that. But um, the second gift that I want to go over this morning is, is to the church is the gift of the prophet. The gift of the prophet. How many of you have run into people who say that they're prophets? Anybody else? Anyone? Yeah, that's cool. The word prophet in Greek means one who speaks in the place of. One who speaks in the place of. So the New Testament prophets were spokesmen for God. And as spokesmen, their words were to be tested by the church against the apostles' teaching in Scripture. That was pretty clear. And so the, the genuineness of their ministry was determined by their adherence to truth, of Scripture, their moral purity, and whether or not what they said was accurate. That's how you measured them. People walk in, say, I'm a prophet. Give me money. Gary and I were talking the other day. There's the didactic, what is it called? Uh, something or other. There's, this, there's this, basically this document early, early church fathers put together on how to identify false teachings. And in section seven of this thing, they lay out like 13 or 14 things. And one is if they come in and they, and they, they ask for money, they're a false prophet. Get rid of them. <clears throat> and, 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 and if they stay for more than two days, or if they, if they like eat too much food or whatever, they take stuff. I mean, they're like, these guys are wolves, man. You got to watch out for them. See, the nature of a, of a prophet is one who gives. The nature of an apostle is one who gives, right? And, and, and what happens is a response from the body of Christ is that you respond in love by taking care of, of those people. Amen? But when you walk in and the motive is, is money, and it's slick these days, isn't it? We've got to be careful. And so, um, if someone claimed to be a prophet and was teaching something false or not living what, up to what the apostles had already said, the church was warned. And, you've, and you read First or Second Timothy two or First Tim, uh, sorry, First uh, Peter chapter two and Jude and other places as well, where you just see the apostles really just hammering this. Be careful, church! Wolves are coming. They're going to be slick. They're going to look like you. They're going to do this. They're going to undermine you. Be careful, and they give ways of identifying them. And so the New Testament prophets had two distinct roles, and let me lay them out for you quickly: foretelling and forthtelling. Those are kind of the two aspects of, of, of what a prophet's role was. Sometimes they received revelation from God, and that's, that's foretelling kind of thing. And sometimes they expanded upon revelation um, God already gave, so foretelling. So sometimes they were given information that would not have been otherwise known, and, um, and they were given those things, and they, they gave it to the church. Listen, the Lord says this. This is what the Spirit is saying, and they would talk like that often. And then the second thing is what, this is what the Scriptures say, and this is what the Lord would have us do in this situation. Does that make sense? Something that's already been revealed, and then explain that as well. So there's that element of exhortation as well. And let me give some illustrations. So foretelling is God revealing to a person, a prophet, what would otherwise be unknown. It's not fortune-telling. It's funny how, you know, um, how the gifts always have their ripoff, the worldly ripoff. 
You know, they've always got this, the enemy just has this counter so that we just take the whole thing and we go, ah, forget it all. And, and that's just one of his tactics. But foretelling is God revealing to a person what would otherwise be unknown. And this is important because God can give us, uh, give us His revealed will through Scripture, right? He gives us His revealed will for Scripture. You read the Bible, but He doesn't necessarily tell us what to do in a specific circumstance. Amen? Yeah, I read the Bible. I know it all the way through, but do I buy this house or do I not buy this house? Do I send my kid here? Do I not send him there? Do I do this or do I do that? And it's not as if we're going to go find a fortune teller to go figure that out or some, there's a person in the body of Christ to say, do I, do I bet on blue? You know, I mean, it's not that kind of thing. We don't do that. Let me back up. God mostly works through providence, okay? This is how God works, is His divine providence. I just, you see it. In other words, you, you love the Lord, you make sure you confess sin, and you just walk in faith, and you make decisions, and if God lets you know something, you, you don't. And you find out afterwards, hey, He was in that, or these were my motives. And so that's how God usually works, but God can intervene at certain times as He wills within the body of Christ to give certain direction, and I believe that's where prophecy happens. We might see it, we might not throw it under the realm of prophecy, but I believe it happens, and I'll explain that a little bit more as we go through but he doesn't necessarily tell us, the Lord doesn't necessarily tell us what to do in specific circumstances. He gives us principles to work by. And sometimes the Lord worked through prophets to reveal that will, that specific will, or to give insight. And we see this with a prophet named Agabus in the book of Acts. And this happens a couple times. But in the, chap- in the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 28, it says, one of them, one of the prophets named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And it says this happened during the reign of Claudius. Verse 29 says the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So we see in verse 28 of Acts chapter 29 that uh, I'm sorry, of, of, of Acts 20, where am I? Acts 11, thank you. We see in that verse that the prophet says there's going to be a, fa- a, a famine, which we know actually happened. It's a historical fact. And it's also recorded here, which we know happened in history during the reign of Claudius. And so with that information, verse 29 says, the disciples motivated the church. Amen? The leadership kicked in. They motivated the church. We know they were, uh, they were the Greek churches from, from Acts later on. And so Paul goes to all the churches in all these areas and he starts saying, hey, there's a famine in the area of Judea. Start giving money. Set aside money. And he hammered the Corinthians because they were just slow in it. And you can read about that. The Macedonians. So what happens, they went through, they, they grabbed money from this, all the churches who had plenty, and they took it down to Jerusalem to give it to the churches who didn't have anything. And they were starving. Amen? That's what happened there. And so the Lord spoke to Ad- Agabus. The leadership responded to the Lord, the body was motivated and edified, and Jesus was glorified. Nothing weird about that. But do you see the purpose? It wasn't so that someone could be a star. It was so that the body could be built up. It could be helped, even in practical matters. Amen? I love that. And that's a clear example of of the New Testament prophet operating. As I've studied the New Testament, specifically when we were going through the book of Acts a couple years ago, I came to the conviction that this is how the Lord often directed Paul during his journey. Now, you might, um, you might go, what are you talking about, Matt? Just bear with me for a second. Through someone that was de- designated as a prophet, that's often, I believe, how the Lord spoke to Paul. Let me give you the Bible to back up what I'm saying. Important when we're talking about those things, Amen. Acts 16, verses 6 through 7 is a great example where it says, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. 
Okay. So was there a force field? Just like, boom, can't go there. What was going on? How did that work? doesn't say. But they were kept from, by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia when they came to the border of Mysia. They tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of who? Jesus. Wait, is that a different spirit? Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit? Interesting. Same, same. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Amen? And so how did the Spirit communicate that to them? It doesn't say. Was it that they had an inclination as they were praying? Possibly. Was it that they were stopped from going somewhere through circumstances and they saw it afterwards as providence by the Lord? The Holy Spirit wouldn't let us do that? Maybe. How The Holy Spirit directing them. How did that, how did that come about? Could it have been a prophet, perhaps? And I think... It is, and I'll show you why. Acts 20, verse 23. Paul says, in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 23, Paul says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know, verse 23, that in what? Every city, the who? The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And so Paul is both compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, yet warned by the Spirit in every city. See that? How does that work? I want to know how that happens. The reason I connect that Paul is being directed by a prophet is because he's directed by a prophet, Acts 21.10. After we had been there a number of days, it says, that is Ephesus, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So the Holy Spirit, it is as clear as day right there, the Holy Spirit spoke through Agabus, and that is exactly what happened. Paul did go down to Jerusalem. He was tied up. But in every city, he was warned. How in the world in every city was he warned? And I believe that in the church, there were those who were called prophets, and the Lord spoke to Paul in every city. He said, Paul, you're headed for trouble. I don't get it. I don't understand it all, but that's what I see. Do you see the connection there? It's not necessarily our Sunday church, is it? I think there's an element of the Spirit that that the church sometimes misses. And when we go into that area of it, we, we get, we worry about abusing those things. Amen? I mean, because I've just seen so much abuse in, in, in those areas. But I also think also we, we deny what the Lord might want to do. I think quite often we shut things down so quickly. You know, we've got the scriptures. We have elders who are supposed to govern these things. Um, and believe me, I'm, I'm hardcore on a lot of stuff. You know me, right? But I think we need to, we need, we need to study these things. Now, I want to I develop this a little further. I know you're with me. You're going, what, how does this have to do with my life? Because how does God speak to His church? He speaks through His Word, but how does He give you individual direction on certain things. Are there times in your life when you just need the Lord to speak in a direction? How does He speak to you? And He might put something on one of your hearts to share with someone else. And the Lord might want to speak through you to someone else, not in a weird, thus saith the Lord, Holy Spirit slaying kind of way. But in, man, I've been praying for you, and I, and I sense the Lord might be saying this, pray about it. And I don't know how many times in my life that has happened to me by people not even knowing what was going on in my life. They said, I've been praying for you, and just the Lord laid this on my heart, and this is a verse for you, or this is what's going on. And it was exactly what I needed to hear at the right moment. And how edifying, encouraging, and, and I just gave praise to the Lord for those things. Has anybody had those things happen to you? At, at, at any time where you're going, that's the gift of prophecy. Were you trying to figure out what was going on? No, you just said, thank you, Lord. Amen? So 
the Holy Spirit spoke through Agabus. And those things did happen to Paul. And so the, the role of, one of the roles of the, of the New Testament prophet was one is foretelling. That was one aspect of it. The other is forthtelling. And this would be more of a spoken word from the Lord to the people or person through a spirit-filled individual. And that was what I was just spot, uh, speaking about in the form of encouragement, direction, or exhortation. So this makes me think about Acts 13.2. It says, while they were worshiping, it says, while the teachers and the prophets of the church, the leadership of the church, that's how they identified him in, in, in Antioch. While they were worshiping the Lord and, and they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. How in the world did the Lord say that? And, and I think I want to in my Orthodox, you say, no, he didn't do that. It was always through the Bible. They were reading the Bible, and that's how it happened. Amen? Let me tell you, anything a prophet says that does not match up with the Bible is not of the Lord. I want to say that right off the bat. But it says that here that the Lord impressed someone in that group, is my guess, that the Lord was calling Barnabas and Saul to a certain work for the Lord. And indeed, the Lord did call Paul and Barnabas, and the church was edified because of it. They were built up like crazy. We have been built up because of that, that calling. Amen? But their exact names and callings weren't pinned out in Scripture, were they? The Lord reveals it to them as the leadership, the prophets and the teachers, verse 1 of Acts 13, as they were fasting and they were praying and they were worshiping God, the Lord spoke through one of them. He said, I think God's calling you guys to this. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? Let's pray about this together. And as they did, they sensed this is pleasing to the Lord. Let's send these people out. And they did. And the church was blessed. They communicated in that faith. And Paul and Barnabas, they responded to that call. When I was called into ministry, this is really interesting. Um, I, I had a real dissatisfaction with where I was going in life. I prayed and I called about what was going on. I said, I said Lord, what, what do I do? I said, I, I only, there's only two things I know how to do. I think I'd like, to, I'd like to play, do something with music, and I'd like to go, you know, I'd like to go travel somewhere. I don't have any money, and, but I'd like to travel somewhere. And I was pretty new in the Lord again, and, and I was like a year in or something like that. And that week... The pastor walks up to me and says, Hey, Matt, the elders and I have been praying, and, and we would like you to come on part-time at the church as the worship leader, and we'd also like to send you on a mission trip, and we'd like you to pray about it. I'm like, I don't need to pray about it. <laughs> like, I'm new at this, but I already know that's God. Like, there's no other way this is happening. You, if you knew me and you knew God, I mean, this is like... And then he, he separated me, and he called me out. But see how all that worked? The Lord just did that. But there was also, you know, desire on my part to be separated from the world and to, and to have a hunger for the things of the Lord that He put into me. And I followed Him. And then they saw that. And then the leadership identifies other leaders and they go, I think God's got a call on that person's life. Let's invest in that person. Amen? Why? So that they can go invest in others. They can be fruitful in the life that God's called them to so that we would be blessed. Amen? And now, real quickly, some believe that the gift of prophecy of the church has ceased. And, and the reason given for that is, like the apostles, these were foundational gifts given to the church, Ephesians 3.20, to get it going, to establish the church, okay? And I wrestle with this. And because these gifts were foundational, certain people believe that when the scriptures were completed, these gifts ceased, Okay, and then some of you might hold that as well. They believe that these gifts seep, they no longer are needed. The idea is that the scriptures replaced certain offices like apostles and prophets and certain gifts, mainly those gifts that were revelatory or confirmatory, like tongues and prophecy and miracles and stuff, they all ceased. So the idea is that the apostles and the, pro the prophets and some gifts that accompanied these things, they weren't needed anymore because that we had the scriptures. That's when the scriptures were completed, 
that was the time when things shifted. And so these miraculous things are out the door. And so for those of you who are into those details, uh, that would be called a cessationist view, that those things ceased. And many people who love the Lord hold, hold to that view. And um, specifically regarding prophets ceasing to function within the church, they would come to the understanding of that from interpretations of like 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just going to get into the weeds for you just for a minute. Because you need to know, is this happening today or is it not? Is it biblical or is it not? And this is important for us. Um, and so 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? We read about the love chapter. We forget about the prophecy part, right? The whole context is the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is right in the middle of teaching about the gifts of the Spirit. 12 and 14 are the gifts chapters in Corinthians. We're going to go to those, okay? But right in the middle of the gifts chapter is what? The love chapter. Because... Gifts without love is pointless. The banging gong, just ridiculous. And that was his point, right? We'll get there soon. But pause to teach them about the supremacy of love within the church and how we are to minister our gifts. And so Paul takes chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians to describe what love is like and how to use our gifts to honor God. And so he begins with verse 4. He says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. It does not stop. And so that describes the more excellent way Paul is talking about. The way a child of God should live in, in functioning in the body of Christ, the new life, and the way of love, and the way in which we should use our spiritual gifts. But he ends that part in verse 8. He says, love never fails. Or, in other words, it doesn't give up. It doesn't stop. And he uses that to contrast the longevity of our spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts are going to stop, Paul says. You're focusing on the wrong thing. You're focusing on the gifts and not the things that last. That's immaturity, right? But he says there in verse 8, but where there are prophecies, see the love chapter, doesn't, it's, we stop there, but it goes on. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And so Paul says love will never end, but these things will. And the question is when? I want to know when. Paul, can you just add a date to that? Make it clear. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. In other words, it's not really, when I prophesy, it's, it's with limited ability. My knowledge is limited. Verse 10, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When completeness comes, I'm not going to need these other things that I'm using in part. You see, the gifts will stop. When completeness comes, when will completeness stop? And what in the world is completeness? Great questions. Glad I asked. In other words, the gifts are, are not the end game. Something is coming that's going to cause them to be irrelevant. And so when completeness comes, the gifts are going to cease. The question is, what is completeness? And it comes in verse 10. Those who believe in certain offices and gifts have ceased and all that type of stuff. They believe that, 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 that completeness is that it's talking about the Scriptures. When we get the finished Bible, then that's when the Scriptures stop. And that's the key verse that they base this on. Okay? That when the Bible is finished, when the book of Revelation was done and later canonized, when John, the last of the apostles, died, the apostles and prophecy died because no more revelation from God was needed. Because the Scripture was written by the apostles and the prophets. We don't get any more Scripture anymore, so it's got to be done. Amen? Are you guys confused? Yeah. It's not an easy thing. And so I do not agree with that fully, that prophecy died. I believe that we no longer are getting any more revelation from God regarding Scripture. There are no apostles walking around telling us a New Testament. I have tried to do Second Matthew. It's just not working out. No more Second Matthew, church. It's done. The scriptures are sealed. Revelation, when it was penned, it's done. 
And so as far as the role of a prophetic voice saying, thus saith the Lord, this is Scripture, it's done. But I have to ask, is that what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 13? That the completeness that would come is the completion of the New Testament. I don't see that. That gifts like tongues and prophecy are going to end when that happens. Is that what he's saying? I don't see it. Do you? Continue reading verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. He's speaking of immaturity. He's connecting it to the gifts. The gifts that we use now are, are, are just something that, it's like we're being childish. When I be, doesn't mean there, there's, an, there's a time for it, right? There's a time to be childish. And when I became a man, I put away the things of childhood behind me. It's clear that Paul is saying that prophecy and tongues and all these things are childish compared to what is coming. Verse 12, for now we see only a reflection is in a mirror. We see it through it dimly, King James. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. Does that sound like the Bible? Because I, I have the Bible and I don't know fully. What is he talking about? when we're face-to-face with Him. That's when we no longer need the gifts. That's when things are done, when we are with the gift giver. And until then, He's on high, sat, ruled, victory over the cross. He paraded in front of the enemy, and He gave the spoils to His church. And He's coming to get us. So Paul is saying, Now we are children. We see dimly now a reflection in the mirror. The word is enigma in the Greek, an obscure saying, a riddle. It's hidden. We don't see the whole picture now, but we will. I know in part now, but then I will I shall know as so I'm fully known. So Paul's talking about he's talking about when I see Jesus. That is when the gifts will no longer be relevant. No faith nor no hope will be needed then. Because our faith will become sight and our hope will be made manifest. I'm not saying we'll be faithless and godless. So I'm saying it's like we're not, faith is what we haven't, we haven't seen, right? We're trusting what we have not seen. When it's there, we no longer have faith. It's, it's there. But love will what? Continue on forever and ever and ever and ever. What can separate us from the love of Christ? From now into eternity to billion, trillion years, if there are even those things then, or if there is a then, when we're in eternity, love will pervade. But now he's given the church gifts. He's now given us the gifts. And what is the, the operation that we are to use the gifts in? In what towards one another? In love. God has gifted you for those people around you to lay your, da- your life out not like Pastor Matt does with teaching, but what he's called you to. Do you love like that? See, this is where it's all going. It just goes right to the cross. I lay my life down so that others might live. And and we sacrifice all of our lives and whatever we're doing, ultimately for His kingdom. And we reflect it in our work, in our family, in our decision-making, and whatever we do, it's just, it's all about Him, and His kingdom, and His glory. So, I believe prophecy is for today. I do not believe that we are getting new revelation from the Lord Jesus regarding Scripture. I think that would be heresy. So I think that God has gifted men and women to edify the church as the Spirit leads them to speak out in faith and in harmony with the written word. Amen? So I believe that there are those within this church, this church that are gifted by God to edify the church with the gift of prophecy.
Now, you're probably not going to sit there and go, I'm a prophet. That's not... I get nervous when people say, I'm a prophet. Anyone else? I am highly skeptical of a person who says, I am a prophet of God, that they hold the office of a prophet of God in the church, and thus saith the Lord, and the elders and I are going to be cautious about that. Amen? But someone who walks in the Word is in fellowship, is in prayer, loves the Lord, and He loves His people, and they're, they just, they've got a heartbeat for the church. If that person comes to me or an elder or whoever and says, I've been praying and I, I, and I think that the Lord might want us to do this and that, would you, would you pray over that? Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go, Lord, is this from you? Will you give us wisdom? Is this you leading us and guiding us? And then I'm going to take what they say. I'm going to match it against the word every way to Sunday. And we're going to pray about it. And we're going to go, is this pleasing to you, Lord? Is this what would happen? And as we get a sense that it is, why in the world would we ever despise that? Amen? 1 Thessalonians 5, 20-22 says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Amen? So let's pause there. I kind of got the hard ones. And by the way, the office of a prophet and prophecy, it's kind of hard to, just, it's hard to remove those two, but I don't think the office of prophet is, is, is hanging out anymore in the Old Testament sense. But I definitely do think that the Lord has still gifted us with prophecy, and I think all the other gifts are in play. That's my position. But let me tell you, I haven't raised anybody from the dead. I haven't seen any miracles. I haven't done anything like that. But I just don't see in Scripture or a pattern in Scripture where it says, we're done. I don't know. So that's where I am. I'm glad that helps you out. <laughs> what I'm hoping you'll walk away with is that the church is a lot bigger than you thought. There's a lot more mystery there's a lot more power. There's a lot more place within the body of Christ other than just the teaching of, of Sunday morning. Where does this gift take place? I think it takes place every day in life. I think it takes place when this isn't happening. And by the way, I believe it happens when I'm teaching too. I think I speak in the areas of, of your life not even knowing what is going on. How many of you had that when I'm teaching or someone else is teaching? You just go, oh my gosh, they're reading my soul. What's going on there? I don't know what's going on in your soul. But the Lord would just work so supernaturally through His church that we would just love each other in that way. And I believe that this happens when Christians get together. And they get together in small groups, in life groups. And they start praying for one another. And they start seeking the Lord for one another. And they start loving one another in that context. And then, and then you can't just help but minister in your, in your giftedness in those areas. You know, someone's going to go, oh, man, i got a verse for you. Someone's going to go, let me pray for you. Someone's going to go, yeah, well, you're wrong. And, you, know, <laughs> you know, you've been in it, right? Someone's going to exhort and all that stuff's going to go on. And, and we just got to always run back to Scripture when we start to get snarky or whatever it is and, and let the Lord work through us. Amen? So let's, let's end there. And, and there's, there's more. I want to get into uh, evangelists and pastor, teachers, and eldership, and deacons, and then we're going to get into the body, okay? So, Lord God, we come before you now, and we want to thank you for the words that you have spoken through the apostles and through the prophets. We thank you that they have blessed us. We thank you for the teachings, Lord, that you have laid down as gifts to the church. We thank you for those men and those women who have died to bring us what we are enjoying today, those brothers and sisters. Lord, we ask that you would continue to bless this little fellowship, and I pray that it would overflow into your valley and everywhere around us, that your church wouldn't be a church who operates just on the legal side or just on the, the spirit side, Lord, but we would be in truth and in love. And so, Lord, whatever gifts you desire to manifest among us, we, we, we invite you. We pray for your protection, Lord. We pray for your 
um, guidance. And we just, we just ask, Lord, that the end result would be a, a strengthened body, that the lame in this body, spiritually, physically, whatever, would be built up, that our hearts would know that you're among us, that we would rejoice with you, that our love for one another would be demonstrated in our lives um, in all these ways. And so we just we lay down this bit of scripture to you. We ask that if there's any way that uh, this has been off, God, that you would correct it and, and help your church to see truth. And we just want to thank you for this. Lead us and guide us now by your word, and by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.